Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, wherever you're tuning in. We are Slava and Jonathan, bringing you the SideQuest Podcast, where we talk about character development, stories, and all things that are world-building. And we occasionally take side quests, because, frankly, that's how conversations work. Just as a reminder, this whole show is spoiler-heavy. So, sit back, tune in, and join us on this episode of SideQuest. Good afternoon, everyone. Good morning, good evening, good good night. Thank you for joining us on the SideQuest podcast for this episode of Black Flame and Slavic Dating Culture. We're happy to have you. The second half of this title will make more sense to you later in the episode. We have our special guest on that we always like to invite back. Spencer, his name is great. Um, Spencer Tum. Hello, welcome. Thank you for having me on. You're welcome. And Slava. No, no, no. Yeah, man. Just me. pleasure. Just thank me. (laughs) (laughs) Just, yeah, sorry, Slava. I'm only here for Jonathan. No, it is good to be back on. Trying to get uh, Spencer on for another book that we're reading right now, The Lies of Locke Namora, which... Is I'm super excited for that episode because I was right again with my book recommendation for Slava. So, <laughs> what came first, the plant or the seed? That's today's question. Yes, we normally yep. do. You know, uh, what did you learn this week, or what, what what emotionally moved you? But let's go with something a little more hard heating, hard hard. Uh, I might need some whiskey this Hitting? morning. Um, talking is hard. And I haven't even been the one rambling for 20 minutes. What came first, the plant or the seed? Or what is the speed of dark? What does color taste like? You don't have to answer any of these questions. Anyway, let's, uh, Slava's researching something, and I don't know what he's researching. I can just tell <laughs> on his face. It's like, the speed of dark. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So what's the question? What came first? The no plants? Plants, by a long way. I yeah, can't tell you why because I can't scroll down that far on the on BBC <laughs> Science Focus. <laughs> oh, modern mechanics. Anyway, thanks for joining us this morning, folks. Stay tuned after the outro for a special treat on random nonsense that we started the episode with, but we're going to not make you sit through unless you really want to. But before we dive in, make sure that you unruly adventurers never miss a podcast by smashing that subscribe button because you don't want to lose out on all the treasure that lies ahead. Today on SideQuest. Okay. Well, a quick recap, good people, is we've discussed Black Flame by Will White, third book in the Cradle series. You'll have to remind me, Jonathan, but the last episode discussion ended kind of on Linden. Usually. Right. He's the main character, so, yeah. Yes, but we all sometimes talk about <laughs> other people, too. How about I just give a quick plot summary, and then we'll just get into what Spencer thought of the book. Let's do it. So, if you remember, Jai Daisho stages a coup against the Aurelius family, which nearly succeeds until Aiton reveals that his path is based in pure Madra. Linden and Yaren finish a course called Black Flame. Black Flame Trials. That Ethan makes them do. Linden advances to low gold. Yaren reaches high gold. Jai Long and Gokran, which is the the head guy of the, what is it, spiders? No, not spiders. Sand vipers, excuse me. They confront Linden and Yaren, but they get fought off. Linden cures Jai Chan's sister. Uh, Gorkin gets killed by a, a turtle named Orthos. It's one of my favorite characters. And then... What happens then? Ah, Linden is taken, most importantly. Here's what we ended on. Linden is taken into custody by the Sky Sworn because using Black Flame is considered a threat against the Black Flame Empire. Again, Ethan is not too surprised by this, and it's kind of like, eh, you know, and I'm paraphrasing here. Just don't kill him. It's all, everything's great. Linden enjoys Sky Sworn. And then Serial discovers a message for Oz, from Osriel that states he has gone off on his own to attempt to change how the Abaddon deals with the chaos-destroying worlds. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you said, you know, you were paraphrasing, but you paused on Ethan's part, but he pretty much responds that way. That said, Skysworn, and this is one of the things that I liked about this, is the government ruins everything, even in fantasy books. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> They're like the state police. Not that I have anything specifically against the state police, but, like, Skystorm comes in and goes, whoa, 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 buddy. None of that here. 
Yeah, well, the Naraguay. nine scariest words in the English language is, hi, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. I don't know if that's nine words, but I'll just take your word for it. It's around nine words. <laughs> that sounds like the government. It's around it's nine words. Approximately. Mm. So, Spence, before we get into what you think, likes, dislikes, anything that you know stood out to you, captivated you, that you thought was outstanding? Yeah, so one of the first things that I liked about the book was seeing from book two to book three was more of the more of the world kind of opening up, seeing more than just Sacred Valley. Oh, there's this whole Black Flame Empire out here. What's what's going on there? Learning more about the Jai clan and seeing how their relationship with the Aurelius family, like that dynamic and just seeing like, wow, there's just a whole lot more going on here than Sacred Valley. So that was cool to see the world open up to me. Getting to learn more about Ethan because he kind of comes in, I think, again, all these books start to blur together. Learning more about him, like who he is, like what his intentions are, and he's still still quite the mystery. Some other things, Lyndon and Yaren's journey through this as they kind of start growing together as Ethan has taken them under his wing and is is trying to train them up. I really enjoyed seeing their relationship with each other, with Ethan, with you know other people that they involve, like how how they are learning to advance. I thought that was pretty good in this book. I think when I first started this book, again it's been it's been a few minutes since I since I read this one, but uh it did start off a little slower and I think I actually took a break for a couple of weeks when I first started reading this because it felt slow, but then it did seem to speed up there in the second half and then things started really to take off. Yeah, I thought the first half oh I guess slow is a, is an apt in, enough uh, word, but I was just sitting there listening to it because, you know, I listened to it on, the, on my commute. And the first half, I'm just getting through it. And then, wow, chapter 14, things start picking up. And I'm like, okay, probably this is the pace that the book will end in. And then you get to chapter 18 and 19 and 20, and so much stuff happens with the coup, with the fighting, with Yaren and Lyndon advancing, Ethan using a broomstick which is a funny <laughs> shtick, like to like kill high golds and like decapitate them and bash their brains in. Doesn't he use, doesn't he use scissors at one point? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yep. And Orthos, the comic relief there is Orthos, walking around, knocking off chairs, eating chairs, breaking, you know, yes. door trusses because he's just a big old turtle. And the way it's written, it's also good shtick because... Linden just cures Jai Chan, and they have this little moment where I'm convinced she likes him. It's kind of serious because he also tells her, tell your brother I don't want to fight him. And then all of a sudden, it's Orthos walking around breaking shit because he's a <laughs> clumsy turtle. And he's not clumsy. He's, he's delicate. Yeah, big and delicate. <laughs> and all, all around this, there's this serious thing that's going on with, again, the coup. And what I felt like almost brotherly love from Ethan to uh, to Lyndon and Yaren, and there's just this progression of a relationship there. And I even said that's what emotionally moved me in one of the weeks that when we asked that question, I was like, "Wow, this is like really cool." These events that are happening, some of them are funny, some of them are serious, some of them you know involve murder and death and all the stuff and betrayal. Even though this is a fast-paced book, all of a sudden, there's a lot packed into this action. Well, if you remember, Ethan, at the end of book two, I want to say, says when they're finishing up in... Is it the end of book two? Soulsmith. Yeah, I think it's they're finishing up there. Ethan's like, I want to go to the end. And Yaren's like, what? I want to go to the end of the sacred arts. It causes pause because you, you go, there's an end? Question mark? And Yaren, too, she was trained by a sage who is this top-tier, you know, powerful being. He wasn't at the end. And so it just, it, it leaves some questions, but you also know what Aethan wants, even if you're not sure if you can trust him yet. It's, it's an interesting place to be. Now, Spencer, what were some predictions or some forethought you had when you were finishing up book three? And I don't expect word for word, right? But, like, I'm sure that you can remember, like, oh, I thought it was going to go like this. Mm-hmm. Don't give anything too much away from Slava with his predictions, but um, when you first read Black Flame, and then it ends with Naraguay coming in and like putting the shackles around Lyndon, and you're like, oh, okay. But also, Lyndon's got mm-hmm. this outstanding 
um, duel that he's supposed to take part in that hasn't happened either. What do, what are your some of your predictions there? The Sky Sworn coming in there at the end really, yeah, definitely was unexpected. Did not see that coming. I believe when I first read that, Monty, my prediction was that somehow the fight uh, with Jai Long. My prediction is that the fight is going to get canceled because somehow he was he's taken into custody by this yeah police force. They're going to want to keep Lyndon in custody. They're they're not going to let him do this fight. I don't at that point believe it'll take place. But in the back of my mind, I was thinking Ethan is somehow going to figure out a way to get Lyndon out of custody. I couldn't tell you how that's going to happen. Ethan, too, at this point is like, there's still something about him where you're like, he like he's hiding something because he's Lyndon has asked him to, to, to share more about either who he is or what his goals are. And Ethan is just kind of vague with him uh, on certain things. Right. So to me, like Ethan is, is still hiding something at this point. So I'm like, I feel like he's got to have another trick or something up his sleeve and will somehow get Lyndon out of the custody of the Sky Sworn. Let me just interrupt for a second. The thing which you said is fascinating, mm-hmm. that Ethan has something to hide. Even the little bit of exposition we get from Cassius, his internal dialogue, and then their interactions, there's still a mystery to why, how, and when did Ethan become number one, as in the leader, not number one in the, the rankings. And Cassius mm-hmm. became not number one and married this woman, who is number one in terms of ranking, but they're kind of off to the side. They're like the cousins of the king, right? To stretch an analogy. You still don't get a lot about Ethan, except that, oh, he's pure Madra. He can kill high golds with a broomstick. And he has a pebble, just like Lyndon, which obviously either Serial or somebody like Serial gave to him. I'm guessing it's Serial because she's playing some sort of chess move here, right? And Osriel's hidden message to her and her frustration with the Abaddon in the last book. And then her being called before the called before the carpet, called before the court, whatever that adage is. Like her being called out in either last book or this book. They're all bleeding for me, bleeding together for me too. There's still mystery surrounding Ethan because of all those things. Because he's kind of this, I don't want to say unknown entity, but um, what's the word where like a mystery is introduced? Which one of you has a brain that works this morning? Not me, unfortunately. So he's introduced, and we get bits and pieces of who he is or where he comes from, but he's still this, uh, let's just go with it. He's an unknown entity right now. Yeah, I can definitely, yeah, that that is true. I agree with that. Some other things I knew, I mean, just kind of based on the nature of the, the series, the book so far, like... I do believe that Lyndon and Yiren are going to continue to advance in their levels. As far as how that takes place, I, at this point, don't really know for sure. can't really predict how they're going to advance, but I do expect more trials or maybe suffering for them to have to endure in order for them to advance. That kind of seems to be a theme uh, so far you have to endure, whether that's hard physical training or uh, spiritual training i i guess in their sense something intense has to happen for them to continue to advance so i was looking forward to to learning how they're going to do that yeah as far as other other predictions i don't really recall having having too many questions just because i feel like i didn't know enough about the world at this point to really know like what going to the end of the sacred mm-hmm. arts looks like so yeah i think jonathan that's pretty much the only thing that that i was kind of looking for at that point in book three was like, how is Ethan going to somehow swing things back into their favor? Getting Lyndon out of custody of the Sky Sworn and how is that fight for well with Jai Long? Like, how is that going to happen? If it's even going to happen at this point, because I feel like it still has to happen. Like, there's still this agreement between technically between Ethan and Jai yes. Long, right? That Lyndon has to fight uh, Jai Long. So, like, somehow, like, it still has to happen. It seems like. Because there was this agreement, this sort of, I don't know, contract, yeah. if, if that's the right word, like between them. So it has to take place. But it kind of seems like the, the Sky Sworn are going to put a stop to it. Like that's where, that's where I was at, like in, in, at that time in the book. Yeah. yeah. Do you feel like Ethan is too big for his britches and it's like he's too confident in his capabilities? Because at the end of the book, we see 
he's clearly a super powerful being. We knew he was powerful, but we didn't know how powerful, right? Like he he starts showing off finally, and he yeah. interestingly enough has a pure Madra style. So that mixed with his antics, and clearly he has a plan. I was going to call it a strategy, but I don't think that that's necessarily a great way to describe his his plans. But I'm just wondering if other people think that there's if Ethan is just a little too big for his britches a little bit or if it's just me i i don't know if that's what i thought um i always my thing is like i wonder when Ethan is going to meet like when is he going to get knocked down because it does seem like he's somehow able to overcome whatever is thrown at him he's always something got you know this extra trick up his sleeve but when is he going to run out of those like who's going to be that person so i'm waiting at this point for who or like what situation is Ethan going to run into where, uh Oh, now, now I'm out of tricks. I don't know what to do in this situation. I, like I keep waiting. Didn't for that, that kind of happen though? Wait, Cause yeah, he's it, like, I hate being surprised. Like there's this moment in the book where he says, I forget. I think he's talking to Lyndon and he's like, yeah, the, the whatever of a thousand eyes is really interesting and great. Except when you get surprised because you, sh- you feel like you should have seen it coming. And then the coup happens and he's like, I should have seen this coming. Yeah, I guess that's a fair point. But I guess since, you know, after reading through the book, he still somehow manages to defeat the patriarch of the Jai clan. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Jai Daisho? Daisho, that's right. You know, they they have a duel, I believe, at the end or near the end of the book. Athan, he defeats him with his scissors. (laughs) (laughs) And like, like, that was really funny to me. Like, he just pulls out these scissors and all of a sudden... Jai Dai shows like what is he doing like why is he fighting with scissors and then he just gets his uh gets his <laughs> ass beat but <clears throat> by Ethan so to me like yeah Ethan was on he was surprised by the coup but he had enough power to kind of put it down so to me there's still a point where okay I keep seeing more and more of these tricks from Ethan or he still seems to have all of this power but, like, at what point is he going to run into, like, his power is not going to be able to overcome the next trial or the next mm-hmm. uprising or the next, you know, big thing. I keep thinking, like, the Sky Sworn are going to be too powerful yeah. for Ethan at this point. Like, I don't believe Ethan has enough power to get Lyndon out of custody. But yet I'm still expecting him to just because he has done all right. these tricks so far. Three ends here. And I think I brought this up in, if not the last episode, the episode before it with Cassius. Because I, I honestly would love to see a little more Cassius in the series because I think it's an interesting dynamic where we see that Cassius was introduced to his wife through Athan, and Cassius is technically the bloodline representative of the Aurelius family, but he stepped down because he needed to, and I don't recall us getting a real reason for why he had to step down, but he is like second in command of the family at this point Ethan is or cassius cassius okay because Ethan is the ruling member or like the the president ceo whatever the the managing member of the of the family and then cassius goes around him mm-hmm. at the end of book two and gets him dethroned basically right that's the end of book sorry book three book three um right am i right here i don't know if it's necessarily a dethroning i think he because he goes around him gave up his throne he, he Ethan- goes around him to go like the the elders aren't happy with what you're doing, right? I don't remember that. I don't remember that. The the linchpin was, to to him losing the the throne, for lack of a better term, was marrying this girl. And Ethan somehow arranged it that he's allowed to get married to this girl, but in exchange, Ethan becomes We're talking about two different things. Sorry. Anyway. Jonathan, I think what you're talking about, I thought that happened later in the series. Well, because they're they're um, unhappy with how much he's spending to keep the Black Flame trials going and Cassius is constantly nagging at Ethan to be like hey you can't be doing this pretty much at every turn right well yeah you're right but I thought I thought they agreed to give Ethan like I don't know, more time I think so they to speak, did to like I forget my original question here bring me back I thought you're talking about is Ethan being dethroned so to speak from his place as I don't know if elder of the Aurelius family, the head, the head of the Aurelius family, whatever. Yeah, that's what I was the head of the family. Yeah, I thought he still was at the end of book three, 
Uh, yeah. I thought that didn't happen until later. Like that, book four. It might be, and that's honestly um, a problem for me. Where like book three and book four the, become the same book because of what happens in book four, <laughs> yeah, I which I won't mention here. Well, apparently you just did. He gets dethroned. Thanks, John. You're welcome. That's the least of your problems in this series. It's also the least of Ethan's <laughs> right. problems, which you'll come to find out. But let me jump on that question real quick, the original question. I don't think he's too big for his britches. And I say that because of the following reason. Whatever comes at him, and here's me making a prediction, he'll either deal with it, let it roll off his back, or change course. What I've seen in Ethan so far, I'm pretty confident that's what's going to happen. I don't think he's going to get humbled, if that was the part of the original question. I think he's just going to deal with whatever comes with him, just like he's dealt with everything else so far. Jonathan, what were some things that you liked about book three? I love the switching back and forth between third-person omniscient, where we get to basically see things from each of the different people's perspectives in a very easy transition from there as well. I like the cast of characters because you've got a lot of drama. And I think I mentioned this when you were on for Unsold. There's a lot of drama between apologies, gratitude, and let's run at them with our swords. <laughs> let's make sure we fight everybody like Yaren does. Like that in its in and of itself is a lot of drama. And then when you add in the mix, like Ethan, as the audience, we don't really know what he's up to, but he seems to be helping our main characters. And so that's a good thing but we don't necessarily have trust for him because he keeps pulling out these wackadoo next steps in his plan, right? Even to the point where, where and I thought this was funny, he's like, oh, Lyndon, and he slaps him on the back, and he's like, let's give you an option of uh, of which path to take because you're going to fight Jai Long. And he's like, wow, that sounds great. And then he runs him through the whole list, and he's like, great, which one do you want? And then he picks, you know, a couple of them. He's like, well, here are the problems with that one and that one and that one and that one. So what else do you want to pick? He's like, I guess I'll pick Black Flame. He's like, oh, wonderful choice. He's like, well, if you really wanted me to pick that, why don't you just say it in the first place? He's like, well, I need you to pick it. <laughs> and I'm sure that I've done this to you before, Spencer, too, where it's just like, well, this is what I wanted you to pick. And it's just like, well, why did you just say that? Well, because you need to pick it. You 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 need to pick it yourself. I'm just going to tell you the problems with all these other things. It was, it was almost like when you were trying to get me to read uh, the series in the first place. You're like, you need to read this series. And I was like, yeah, okay, I, I don't know, I'll get around to it. Like, But you're like, no, you need to read it. And then when I got to read it, you're like, see, aren't you glad you <laughs> chose that? And I was like, well, you you really wanted me to. I don't actually know if I would have chosen this series without your same thing with really Liza Lockmore and every other book but that I pushed you toward that you haven't read. Pretty much, yeah. So yeah, that's definitely I think something you've like pushed me into and that <laughs> that I chose, right? But I mean, it, in in a way, there there is. Um, I mean, I did have to choose to read it. Like I could have kept telling you no, but I also wouldn't have chosen it either without your recommendation. So I don't know. So both of those things kind of play into that, and and that's kind of maybe Lyndon, and that's his choice to do the Black Flame path, even though, like, he could have kept telling Aethan no, but I think he's trusting Aethan at this point, because so far, Aethan's helped him out and rescued him from a number of situations, and he doesn't really have reason to not trust Aethan at this point, but yet there still kind of is that question of, like, well, what is his true intention behind this? And Lyndon is a processor, right? He likes to think through things. He's always thinking of what's the easiest way, the safest way. I think that plays into his decisions. And yes, he trusts Ethan now. Does he have a reason not to? And Ethan's given him all these reasons not to take the other ones. So part of it, yes, Ethan's pulling the strings a little bit. But at the same time, Lyndon's a free agent nonetheless, and even though he got nudged in the right direction, I think his decision to try to escape uh, what he sees as a danger kind of also played a part in deciding Black Flame because, okay, so this is what Ethan wants. Ethan has helped me. Ethan has saved me. Black Flame will give me one, two, three. What are, I forget the reasons, but these two, three reasons to maybe beat Jai Long of course I'm going to choose uh, Black Flame. And Ethan, at his vantage point, is like, aha, good. It, it not, not only does that accomplish 
my goal or help me get a step closer to accomplishing my goal. He's choosing the best thing for himself mm-hmm. too. So on on this track here of like the Ethan Linden relationship, and then also Spencer's comment of like, well, you you did make me choose Liza Locke Lamora Cradle Series, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, one could even propose that I made you choose to be on the podcast, you know, 17 times so far or whatever it is. Um, what th- there's a theme here and it's friendship. Spencer blink twice. Don't blink. Turn the camera off. You Do it now. <laughs> <laughs> Spencer just blinked twice for the audio <laughs> listeners. But, um, uh, th- one of the themes here is friendship. Friendship is, is starts in book one with, with Lyndon and Yaren and then expands a bit with Lyndon and Yaren now having a stronger friendship because they know that they can rely on each other, even if Lyndon is leaps behind Yaren. But now we're starting to see the development of Athan's friendship with Lyndon, and we've talked a little bit about trust, but let's bring this back into the real real world like we do sometimes. What do you guys think is the... Well, what do you... How would you... No, how do I, I'm just like trying to formulate this question on the spot here. What are some characteristics of a quality friendship? Now, Lyndon and, and Ethan are a bit more of a mentorship relationship, but they're still friends. And I think Ethan says as much in, in at one point throughout the series because I think he's he's getting after what's the grandma's name? Fisher Gesha. Thanks, everybody. Happy to happy to help. So, so it's Fisher Gesha. Wow. <laughs> what do you think some of the qualities are of good friendship? Because I think that this is a strong episode to discuss this on because it's so it's like it's not the first time we're meeting Ethan and Lyndon, but we're seeing like a friendship develop. And so what are your guys' thoughts on what makes a good friendship in in real life? I think the simple part of your question is what what constitutes a good friendship? Well, the thing that stands out to me is the ability to be yourself. I don't mean that in some pseudo-intellectual, postmodern, just be yourself kind of bullshit. Just being able to be yourself, be Jonathan, the guy who you are, to be able to be free, that I think is the first thing. The second thing would be trust and loyalty, meaning that I'm able to trust you with not only information, but that you have my best interest in mind. This is not some sort of transactional thing. And the loyalty thing is that you actually act like a friend. We don't have to be bosom buddies. We don't have to be best friends. But we have to you know, be able to be ourselves with each other. We have to be able to trust each other. And there's a sense of loyalty to each other. We have a brotherhood almost towards each other. I, I like what you said about trust. Without trying to go into too much detail, I had a situation come up recently. I feel like... I'm always walking on eggshells. I felt like I had to be perfect in order to be a friend. One little slip up and the the other friend is mad and won't talk. And like, I don't, like there has to be that level of trust where like we can get mad at each other because it's it's bound to happen. Humans disagree. At some point you're going to get mad at the other person. And you have to be able to get beyond that. Be willing to forgive. You have to be willing to admit that you're wrong at some point, and the other person has to be willing to admit that they're wrong at some point. And so, yeah, I've just experienced uh, a situation where, kind of like, well, I don't. There's nothing more that I can do. Like, I feel like I've done my part. So now I don't know if you know if it's worth having having a friendship because like I don't want to be walking on eggshells all the time. And so I, I like what you said about trust. Um, oh man, I had some other thoughts at this point. Just slipped my mind at the moment. I guess that was something that was kind of on my mind recently, you know, in terms of friendship, trust and loyalty, great things. Yeah. And, and I do like what you said too, about not, not trying to repeat everything you say, but being yourself, got to be, be able to do that. And, oh, oh yeah. That's one thing I was going to say earlier too, is you have to be willing to accept criticism or constructive criticism. You have to be willing to push your friends. And that's one thing I've appreciated about uh, Jonathan actually recently is he's pushing me into doing greater things and advancing myself, uh, similar to, to Lyndon and Ethan, right? You, ha- you just have to be willing to be able to, to listen to hard truths. And if you can't do that, then you're only going to be able to have a, a surface level friendship, I think. So, so that's one thing that I uh, feel like I personally have been learning recently is like you have to be willing to say hard truths 
uh, to your friend, and uh, you also have to be willing to accept hard truths. I appreciate that about Jonathan, too, and I've actually told him that that quality makes him a good friend. When you're able to be yourself, Jonathan can be authentic and say, hey, I think you should do this, 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 and this, and that's kind of part of his character makeup. If the other person understands, and there's a level of trust, that he understands what Jonathan is getting at, he won't take that as unnecessary criticism or some sort of you know ball busting. It's Jonathan trying to be a good friend. And mm. the ability to be able to read the other person and just accept them as they are, meaning this is the characteristics of Jonathan, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and understanding that like, hey, I have good, bad, and ugly crap too. And Jonathan puts up with my nonsense. There have been friends who because of either geographical uh, distances or just life changes have reduced the amount of times that they've contacted me. And I have also contacted them less. And some of them, we pick up right away where we left off and there's no issue. And some of them I've noticed that we're just growing apart. Now, delving even deeper into this, then I'll end and my, my friend rant with this again, is some of those are natural. They're just like, it's okay. It's a natural, uh, no harm, no foul kind of separation, and then you just move on. Some of them are just freaking weird. Like, out of nowhere, I'm thinking of one particular friend uh, right now. We uh, became friends. Everything was great. But all of a sudden, he's just gone. And I've texted him a couple of times, and the responses are like one word, answers or very flat and then i was like you know what i'm not gonna text him i'm just gonna give it a month it's been about six months and and i'm fine with it i mean it kind of stings i'll be honest because i thought it was a really good friendship and i really liked the guy just dropped off the face of the earth i guess fecal matter passes those are some great words to say about me thanks guys appreciate that <laughs> it's nice to just sit here and listen to that i know you probably <laughs> forgot that i was here because i was not making jokes I actually made that. I muted my mic and made them to myself because I'm the funniest person that I know. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and that's your fault. So, but we accept you for that. So it sounds like, based on your definitions, that Ethan is a good friend to Lyndon, based on what you guys have described. I think so. There's a there's a guy that mm-hmm. I like named Alex Hormozzi who has his two simple lenses for friendship, and it's do they genuinely root for you? when you win and do they make you better and he says finding people who do even one of these is rare both is even rarer which is why they get the highest title of friend but i think it's interesting yeah peterson has a similar thing and he has three it's like a good friend will uh, root for you when you win and show empathy when you lose and try to push mm-hmm. you to do better he's he said it in different ways i'm paraphrasing but one of his earlier lectures that I found on YouTube. So, because Spencer, you used me as an example about pushing you to, you know, with your career and, and stuff to get better. And you've said uh, as much on, on the podcast before that you kind of, you, you grew up in this cult. So it's it's not abnormal that one person might push another person to do something, right? Like out, outside of, you know, specifically the, your your upbringing or like me pushing you as a friend, but like person A pushes person B to do something. And so I think the metric that we need to use, because I actually had this, well, I'm me. I push people to do things that I think is good for them, even though perceivably it doesn't necessarily feel that way on the front end because it's, you know, person A pushing person B to do something. And we had this conversation because she's like, well, I don't know if I want to, because I'm, as Spencer knows, I I encouraged her to get a new career because she was stuck at her, her current place. And I was like, no, you need to do this. Like, this is the best decision for your life. And then, you know, people, I, I would tell friends in our community and they're like, whoa, you can't tell your girlfriend to like change careers and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I absolutely can because A, we're in a relationship. B, it is the best decision for her. I didn't tell her what she needs to do. I didn't say, you got to go become an electrician. I made some strong suggestions about like, hey, there's more revenue in this industry than in this industry. And like, you need to consider that because you have to think more than like the next six months of like how much you're going to make, you need to think the next 10 years. If I go into this industry, I will cap out at, let's call it 60 grand because of whatever, but it also requires 18 or sorry, 
it requires like eight more years of school, which means you're going to take on another $250,000 in debt to try to make 60 grand. It's like that those numbers don't make sense. And so like just spelling things out like that, because I care about her, because we're in a relationship. And then at some point in our conversation, I was like, look, at the end of the day, I'm not pushing you for this because I get anything out of this. If we're not together, what you make doesn't affect me for benefit or for loss. And same thing with Spencer, where it's like, I don't get anything about you changing careers. I just know that you're stuck in your current career. And that annoys me because similar. And I've told this to Spencer offline before. I'm like, I feel so much like Ethan these days. I'm like Lyndon as well, because I'm, I feel like a late bloomer. But with Ethan, it's like, I don't want to be alone at the top. Now, I'm not making a million a year. I don't feel like I'm at the top. But for our friend group, I am at the top. I'm, I might not make the best salary, but I'm one of the top people in our community. And we have got a community of like 150 people. And I make some of the most money. But And it, it's not about like, oh, look at how great I am. But it's like, when you make the most money and you want to go out and do something, you can't because your friends can't afford it. And like, yeah, you can cover for them here and there. And like, Slava and I, we used to be in a community where we would just like, hey, I'm going to get this one. And, and like, we would rotate who covers the meal, which is nice. It's fun to do that because you feel good about giving to your friends. Your friends feel good about receiving. And you know, oh, all right, I'm going to get the next one. And do the numbers equal out to a, to a net neutral? No, one person's going to always pay a little more. But that's fine, like, because we do it because we care about our friends and we enjoy having a good time. We enjoy spending time with them. But um, my my point with this is how do you filter that someone is being a good friend when they're pushing you to do something. Yeah, good question. I had something prepared, and you asked the right question. And I'm going to use dating uh, as an example, right? Or female and male relationships as an example. But I think it translates across all relationships, platonic or friendships or brotherhood or sisterhood or whatever, intimate, romantic. You have to be able to say, when your girlfriend asks, do these pants, does this dress look my butt look big? You have to be able to say, yes, yes, that, that is an awful dress. You should not wear that because that doesn't fit your figure or that doesn't go with your complexion. Don't freaking wear that dress. And immature people, and somehow this is widely accepted as normal in our culture, would say, how dare you say that to your girlfriend? Well, because maybe I like, love my girlfriend, and she looks like a deflated balloon when she wears that coat. There are some things that look bad on me. Because of my figure, my complexion, my built. And that is a silly example. Now, to answer your question, is you have to be able to tell your friends, hey, that doesn't work. Like, you are heading towards a precipice of whatever. You know, despair, disappointment, et cetera, et cetera. Whatever you're advising them on. I think to be able to say that, to be free, maybe that's a better term than to be yourself to be free in a relationship to say things like that and be received, whether sometimes you get, you know, uh, a pushback, and that's fine. Not everybody has to listen to Jonathan because he's a genius. It's okay to push back. But to be able to have that dialogue for Jonathan to push, for Spencer to push back, and in the end, whether Spencer takes the advice or doesn't, to still remain friends. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, you bring up some good points. I think one thing thing to add uh, to that is... You know, Jonathan, you asked, like, how do you know? I think if they are constantly, like, putting you down, they think they're pushing you, but then they just keep putting you down, like, oh, you're you're not doing good enough, or you're not... It's a constant just repetition of the same bad thing. I feel like I'm doing a terrible job of trying to explain what I'm thinking, but, like, um, they're belittling you, they're not really helping you, but they just keep telling you that you're doing bad, but they're not really trying to help you advance or progress but in their mind that they think they are. Um, I think like that could be a, a situation where, well, their, their intention is not really to help you then. Their intention is to try to keep putting you down to make themselves above you. And whether that's a pride thing on their end or, or whatever it is, that to me, like that would be a situation where like they're not really trying to help. They're just belittling you and, and, and whatever right whereas obviously that's not in Lyndon and Ethan's case that's not what's going on so Lyndon has reason to to trust Ethan and as a friend Ethan wants Lyndon to come to the top with him Ethan is doing everything so far it seems in his power to to help Lyndon advance and and to help him go to the top so that's why I think that's something that's a good friend like that's how Lyndon 
would know that Ethan's a good friend or in, in the real world case, I know that Jonathan is being a good friend to me is like he's he's helping me. He's doing what he can to to help me advance. I definitely appreciate that. Two, I wanted to say earlier, another mark of a good friendship is being willing to ask for help or also being willing to be vulnerable and admitting like, hey, I know that I am not, I'm struggling here in this area or um, whether that's spiritually, mentally, emotionally, career, whatever, like being willing to be vulnerable. And that's something that I grew up not being able to do based on the culture that I grew up in. It was like any sign of weakness, then you weren't worth anything because, oh, you showed a moment of weakness. We can't help you. Yeah. It was like, well, I can't show weakness, so I'm not going to ask for help because then they won't help me. Um, like I have to figure out everything on my own and or they'll reject me. Another thing you said also resonated with me when somebody is picking on you and they're telling you that they're trying to push you to do better. My older brother was that guy. He would destroy me and then be like, well, I'm just trying to, you know, toughen you up and, you know, tell you how to do things right and set you in the right path. But none of it was done in any loving sense. Now, I'm sure if he was here with us, he would say, well, that was just my type of like oh yeah okay great but he sure as shit didn't treat his sons that way or his nieces or nephews not even for a second not in front of me and i'm the type of guy that push back but i also grew up in kind of a culty environment and my family a whole story for another time i never i never used the flight option i always used the fight option so then when I would push back against my uh, brother's abuse, I was seen as the problem child who just didn't want to take the, the loving guidance of an older, wiser adult figure in my life. Mm-hmm. And it basically destroyed the relationship because after a while, even though we would reach out to each other once in a while as adults, we never grew past that relationship. That kind of ended because I pulled myself out of it. And then that was it to this day. I really don't know his kids, my nieces and nephews, because we grew so far apart. And for reasons that, you know, I think are natural in the sense the consequences are natural based on the relationship that we had. But I don't even know his family. And he's passed on now, but I never knew his kids. His kids never knew me Mm -hmm. as Uncle Slava or anything like that. And because he refused to show some modicum of patience and understand who Slava is. And when Slava's pushing back, even if I'm being a little asshole because I'm 13, not understanding that how you talk to a 13-year-old versus how you talk to a 40-year-old is different. Yeah. To wrap this up, because we're coming up to about an hour here, I want to do a quick refresh for anybody listening. Some of the things we covered, and help me remember, guys, we said friends are trustworthy, they're loyal, They can be vulnerable with you. We talked about how friends want your best and they'll push you toward your best. And then we also asked the question and answered it where, how do you know that they're when they're pushing you? Because all friends push. The question is, are they pushing you for best? Because a lot of times anyone who's been to a college, it's like, well, your friend's probably going to push you to drink or do drugs or whatever else their like little tribe does. I want to just finish with like the way that you measure when you're being pushed by someone is what do they get out of it and what does it cost them? And then what do you get out of it and what does it cost you? And so Spencer's brought up a, a, the example of me pushing him in his career. It's like, you know what it cost me? It cost me time. It cost me investment. It cost me giving him the advice of like the hard lessons I've had to do so that he doesn't have to do it. And I've given him, you know, this isn't toot my own horn, but I've given him some, you know, little equipment here and there to just try to get get his setup going, connected him with a few people to you know, see what their experiences were like going through a similar program, and like that costs me time and and investment and whatever because I believe in Spencer's growth, and I I'm playing similar to to Ethan here, I'm playing for a ten year game, where you know maybe our families can vacation together in the future, but right now I don't, I'm not going to see any sort of return on that end. What I get returned is. Spencer reads books so I can talk nerd shit with him, which is great for me because I want to talk those things. But also, like, I want to talk tech stuff and I want to talk whatever. And so, like, helping my friends, like, hey, I would love to see you grow in this area. Plus, it's going to pay you really well. You should consider it. And then, you know, what does Spencer get out of it? Well, 
if he does it and then we stop being friends, he still has a great life and has a great career and whatever. And like, I know that I helped the world be a better place because I, I literally affected his entire family line because he chose a career that pays better. Right. And so like, even if we stop being friends for some reason, I know that the outcome that I get is I've done a good act for the world, helping my friend become a better version of himself. The, the, the short version of like, how do you measure when someone's pushing you? What does it cost them? What is the investment or what does it cost them? What do they get out of it from pushing you? And then what does it cost you and what do you get out of it? And when you measure that, it's like, if it's too lopsided on the person who's pushing you to do something, and this is this is a, a same conversation I had with my girlfriend too, where I was like, look, at the end of the day, if we break up, you still get a great career. So like, you should do this because this is the best thing for you. Now that said, I realize that... I'm a unique individual who doesn't need to get something from someone in the short term, but that's very rare. And and so you do need to be wary about that because most people aren't going to give unless they're going to get. And I think that that's antithetical to truly objective, loving worldview. But most people do require something in return, even if that requirement, like Spencer said, is to put you down. And Slava said the same thing where it's like, well, I'm just keeping you around to put you down. But they subconsciously don't know that that's why they're keeping you around because they want to just know that they're better than you. But that's a real thing that people do. And you should you should very much trim your friendships if all they do is talk about your past and not your future. Let's talk about how Yaren and Lyndon have grown closer because I think that's fascinating. And then go into the scale. You know, because the audience knows our scale, but we'll bring in your scale, Spencer, and then we'll see how this plane nose dives out of the sky and hopefully the the crash at the end will just end the Which episode. is a good lead up to Survivor. Anyway. Uh, yes, yes. I know what I'm doing. I've done yeah, podcasting before <laughs> for 37 episodes. No, but yeah, like I like this line uh, by Yaren, a worry shared is a worry halved, right? It's a, after a lot of things, like the second trial or maybe in the first trial, they're cooking the the crabs that taste like dung or something. They're bold, bloody. You can tell that Yaren and Lyndon are closer. They trust each other more. They're dependent on each other for the tasks, the trials. Ethan is showing brotherly love for Lyndon and Yaren. Lyndon quickly, without hesitation, cures Jai Chan. And maybe there's a second motive, ulterior motive, to get out of the fight with Jai Long. But he still does it. And he still treats her with respect. And obviously he's Lyndon, so he's going to treat everybody with, you know, <laughs> wide amounts of respect. But I... Th- almost too much almost, sometimes. Oh, yes, very much. But, yeah, Spence, what do you think about how Yaren and Lyndon have grown closer over the last three books? Maybe a couple comments on that, and then we'll let Jonathan answer and go into the scales. It's, it is really cool to see see how they've grown. I think at the beginning when... Lyndon first meets Yaren. I don't know if he uses her is is the right term I'm looking for, but for lack of a better one, he uses her to get out of Sacred Valley, and and well, and she kind of they have like this mutual use for each other to get out of Sacred Valley, and so after that, I think Lyndon is just kind of expecting her to to kind of go her own way, and then all of a sudden, Ethan shows up and kind of brings them together. I think that's how that works. But up until this point, I'm kind of waiting for Yaren to leave go her own way. I think she's talked about that before. But yeah, during these Black Flame trials, all of a sudden, yeah, you see them become closer together. And you start start to see this uh, budding friendship between the two of them. At this point, I'm rooting uh, for that friendship. They're both willing to help push each other as well as Ethan. As well as Ethan is trying to push them, they're trying to push each other. And so so that's really cool to see how, how that has grown between them as they try to push each other into advancing. Very cool. Jonathan, what say you? Well, I think we, we see a clear example of brotherhood and family take place in the military. And so I think Yaren and Lyndon fighting next to each other is a different type of bond to start because you're either in this and you're going to survive or you're in this and you're going to die, right? Because this is the type of world that they live in. And so doing the training, even with like boot camp, if you've ever watched Pacific Rim or uh, is it Pacific Rim? Band of Brothers, the offshoot. I think it's called the Pacific, actually. Um, Band of Brothers is a, is a fine example. 
But the way that you're knit together when you suffer together through something super deep like that is unique. It really does bond you together to look out for the other person's best and make sure that you're helping each other from your own strengths and covering their weaknesses and vice versa. So even though Lyndon is lacking in power, raw power compared to Yaren, she, I think, is playing more of a long game because she she's never had a friend before. Her parents were slaughtered and she got picked up by the Sword Sage to be mentored and she's just been alone with the Sword Sage, just traveling and training and whatever. And now she has a friend for the first time and we really see this moment for her in the end of book two where she's like, I guess I'm going to be on my own again. And then Ethan gives her the invitation of like, hey, I want to go to the end of the Sacred Arts. You should join us. But we have a really vulnerable moment there with Yaren. And so I think watching her take care of Lyndon, because that's really what it is um, before book three, because he's just so weak. It's touching. It's endearing. It, you know, uh, frankly, we all want a friend like that where it's like, look, sometimes I'm going to be the weakest person and that is okay, but I need other people to be strong. And this kind of harks back to my thoughts on on my friendship with both of you and Spencer, my girlfriend, like the people that I keep close in my life of like, I need to push you guys because I need you to get stronger because there's going to be a time where I'm not going to be able to make it. And I need you to be better than you are now, because if you are the same as you are, let's say a year ago, and then something goes wrong, like there's less of a statistical probability that you'll be able to handle the whatever's going to happen because of how rowdy I am. So <laughs> I'm going to need you to be better so that you can handle my Ethan-ness. <laughs> anyway, enough about me. Let's talk about some bloopers while we uh, attempt to crash this plane in the Australian outback. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to do the scale? Or Let's the do the scale, first? then we'll do the bloopers and we'll call it good. It sounds good. So for me, the story of plot is a four. The characters are 4.5 that didn't change from last time. And the world is a four. And I think it's going to stay a four until we get to bigger and better. And maybe Will White will give us maps. I'll give him a five then. For me, I think uh, story-wise, it's four. And that's just because sometimes I feel for me things jump too quickly. Like all of a sudden we're in one scene and then we're in a totally different scene. And I don't even know like how we got mm-hmm. there. That doesn't happen all the time, but every once in a while I'm like, wait, what? And now I'm a little confused and have to go back and reread. I give a four at this point just because I feel like there are certain moments or certain times where I feel like I want to dive a little bit deeper into into them into themselves. Like I want I want to know more about them. And sometimes I feel like we don't get enough of that. Uh, in the world, um, at this point, I'm giving it a five because I really um, I know Cradle is the is the world that they're on, but I know that there's this whole other world yeah. uh, universe maybe going on behind the scenes and, and i think that's super cool so and i, I, I actually that. challenge cool. your rating scale spencer of the characters at a four and the only reason i say that is because a good movie or good book leaves you wanting more so i you don't have to concede to five fair, but fair I'm, I'm just like challenging but, you on that one because mm-hmm. leaving you wanting more and and this i'm kind of preaching to myself at this moment because a lot of times i'll complain to slava you know, well, the world, it's not enough of the world. And sometimes it's a complaint about lack of authorship in the narrative. And sometimes it's a, like, uh, Roadside Picnic is a great example where I was like, oh, shoot, like, I need more of this in a, like, a positive sense. But anyway, that's my that's my challenge to you. Mm-hmm. So, so, so my challenge back <laughs> real Suck quick it. is, um, <laughs> so, so one person that, one person I'd like to yes. see a little bit more depth to is yes. Yaren uh, at this point in the book. And, and I feel like he has spent more time, well, obviously, Lyndon. But but I, I guess I personally would like a little bit more depth on Yaren Under, at this point. So understandable. I and I, and I think she doesn't get as much play as she probably should, being so tied to the, the mm-hmm. main story. My rating system, the first time I read it through, is just it's a five all across. Because I loved Dragon Ball Z growing up. I love progression fantasy. I love the the fact that, you know, each book, the characters get different levels and different challenges. And first read through for me was fives across the board. Now it's a 4.5 because I've gone through and I go, oh, this could have been a little stronger. This could have been a little stronger, but it's still a 4.5 where like I've, re- I've reread the whole series three times. I've forced my friends to read this series with me. So you know what? Frankly, maybe it's still a five because I'm making other people read it. I don't know if the category of a five is 
<laughs> like, can you make someone read a four four star book? I don't know. Anyway, so those are those are my ratings. On to some bloopers or one liners. Which one of you wants to go first? I can go. I got one here. I go with a blooper. This one was probably my favorite one. It says uh, Jai Daisho was living a nightmare. He and his true gold elders launched their striker attacks at Aethon together. Streams of white light that should have pierced the enemy from seven different angles. Then Jai Daisho's <laughs> pants vanished. He stood shivering in his underwear as all the Trugled elders pointed and laughed. When he tried to run away, his childhood teacher stepped out from behind a nearby building and told him <laughs> it was his turn to present his project to the whole class. But he didn't have a presentation. He had never prepared one. So he was forced to stand in front of his peers and stammer out some nonsense words as everyone continued to laugh at him. Abruptly, he forced himself awake, panting and sweating. He saw all his true golds dead and Aethon Aurelius holding a blade to his throat. He sighed in relief. All things considered, Jai Daisho said, this could have been much worse. <laughs> so one of my favorites is tears glistened in Jai Chen's eyes as Jai Long held her hand. Kral died fighting beside me, he told her. He went quickly and courageously. He died a hero. The Underlord killed him, his little sister asked. Jai Long squeezed her hand a little harder. A boy the Underlord brought with him, just an iron. Jai Chan's eyes opened wide and her arms fluttered as though she tried to raise him. An iron! He struck like a... Amazing, she cried. An iron striking down a high gold. That's incredible. No, wait, you don't understand. He stabbed Kral in the back from behind with a stolen weapon. So resourceful. <laughs> if he can defeat a high gold, maybe I can too. Don't admire him. He's just a weakling and a coward. When you were an iron, how many high golds did you kill? <laughs> she stared at him innocently, waiting for an answer. Jai Long cleared his throat but couldn't answer. You said his name is Lyndon, didn't you? Do you think you can deliver a letter for me? I'll write one right now. Dear Lyndon. Jai Long closed his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's nice. Lyndon read the tablet aloud as Yaren nodded along. The dragon advances. The dragon destroys. The dragon conquers. Fits like a good boot, yeah? Yaren said, but Lyndon had noticed more at the bottom. He brushed dust aside. There's more writing. A lot more. Beneath the third line were more sayings in the ancient script. The dragon is respected. The dragon is cool. People like the dragon. That's really what it says? Yaren asked. It's the best translation I can come up with. And there's still more? The dragon isn't scared. The dragon wins all the time. The dragon could beat you up. The dragon left his ex-girlfriend not the other way around. <laughs> She's a liar and you shouldn't trust anything she has to say about it anymore. <laughs> the dragon was working through some serious issues, Yaren said. Lyndon slowly covered the tablet back up with dirt. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, I like funny. that. I really, I props, Will, if you ever listen to this, really appreciate the bloopers because they just add so much to the... <laughs> The kitschiness of the story where it's like, it can be serious, and then at the end you're like, also, I need to remember as an author, I shouldn't take myself too seriously. So, I like that a lot. Mm. Yep. And that's why I love Absolutely. Stephen King. Because if This you episode's about Will White, any of so his... let's just stay on track here? Yep. 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 <laughs> no, I also like Stephen King. And one thing I appreciate about him is he doesn't take himself seriously. Like, if you listen to his interviews or read any of his non-fiction stuff or any of his in-world descriptions. Sometimes what I mean by that is sometimes you get either epilogues or prologues or little bits of information about the story he's just written. He'll give it to you at the end of the book or the end of the short story. Just a glimpse of how he came up with the idea. You can tell he doesn't take himself seriously, and that's what makes him so enjoyable as an author for me. And same mm -hmm. with Will White was the That's, start of this go. episode. <clears throat> Cheers and celebration to you. I I also, like, I, I love Orthos's one-liners, but I can't get enough of the sheer peculiarness of, uh, of Yaren's one-liners. You know, cheers and celebrations. You know, um, there's another one in Soulsmith where she's like, you're asking me, but who am I supposed to ask? It's like, that's a fair... That's a f uh, okay. All right, that's a fair response. <laughs> or bleed and bury me, right? Like, there's just so many great one-liners. Anyway, that's the episode. Stay tuned for the aftermath of um, 
Slavic advice on dating culture in America. Good Lord. <laughs> um, what am I supposed to say for the outro? Spencer, finish finish it up for me. Hold on a second. Expect the I unexpected. For that. I should. Because Ethan does. All right. I don't know if there's a line, but here we go. Well, folks, thanks for joining us today on another episode of Side Quest. Side Quest. Sorry. The podcast <laughs> is called Side Quest. That's it. That's oh, the end. Dear. Right. See you guys next Side time. Quest. All right. That's the end. Spencer. Thanks for joining us, everyone. <laughs> I might not be back. Oh, that's the blooper. that blunder. <laughs> Put that in the bloopers, yeah. All right. What's our question? Spencer, give us a question. You can't just dump that on me without telling me beforehand. Well, you sent me a dick pic, so... You wish. It's a very nice setup, Spencer, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Slava. I like the angle. The lighting's good. Uh, Oh, dear. (laughs) This is probably making its way into the episode. (laughs) Slava being the editor and all. Yeah, well, I can't check explicit for the type of episode this is. (laughs) Maybe we'll get more listeners. You know, <laughs> expand your market. I can't even think of a question. I, I, I hate this kind of shit. It's yeah. not that hard. You people have had conversations with humans before. I can come up with the questions, but it's, it's you know, I'm trying to get some engagement here. Here's a fun one. What's your ex's version of your last breakup? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I think you do. I think we all know. The, the asshole? Probably. Know. I don't have an ex. Fair enough. You guys are. We can talk about some kind of dating question because I've. I hate dating. Like it. Well, I think you're. It interferes with the marriage. But uh, I'm kidding. How does <laughs> <laughs> your wife uh, feel about that? <laughs> well, she doesn't like me dating either. <laughs> <laughs> Even before I was married, I hated dating. the The typical or stereotypical. Things that you think of when Americans say dating, I despise the passion. I just don't give a shit. The the getting to know you chit chat, all the cliche, um, the word I'm looking for, like little uh, parry dances that you do, all the steps that you have to take to get through it. And maybe I'm inflating it in my head, but I just, I can't stand it. You find somebody, you read their bio, and then you get to try to get to know them in a crowded restaurant over drinks and bad pasta. I don't judge anybody for doing that, but I personally just can't. It just annoys the crap out of me. And I know I'm a special type of uh, type of asshole. I don't blame you for that. To me, it always feels like I'm going on an interview. Why didn't it work out? Well, I wasn't being my real self. Well, also, women expect to feel this spark. But really what they've trained themselves to do based on psychological research is they're looking for a trauma response or they're looking for this neurological connection that is usually associated with bad relationships where it's like this spark. And it's like, no, that's not healthy. Healthy is actually usually boring. Healthy is is like, Mm. hey, let's talk about and communicate on X, Y or Z things. Doesn't mean we have to agree on everything. We should be aligned on some major topics, but they oftentimes are looking for this spark on a first date. A second date, you're still warming up to each other. And it's really the third date where it's like, okay, I can start to see who you are. The best thing, I think, try to, and I know in American context, this is almost impossible just because of the culture. And that's not a moral statement or a judgment. It's just is, right? Hang out with friends. Spencer, I'm taken. Dang it. The point is, (laughs) if you have a large pool of acquaintances... This is a little bit more difficult. And again, the, the whole American context where it's considered weird to like date a friend or try to get to know a friend in a more intimate kind of setting. That's how I was able to date girls, hang out with girls, get to know girls eventually who turn into my girlfriend or not so much. It was always in the context of group activities. And I realized that that's very specific to me and the culture, the subculture I grew, grew up in America. Can I just re- I can I recap? Slava's dating advice for everybody real quick. Slava's dating advice is hang out with someone so you don't have to deal with rejection. You'll never have a breakup if you're just hanging out. Oh, I thought we were just... (laughs) Which is exactly the problem with today's dating culture. Thank you, Slava, for your advice. This is fantastic. uh, We're all very used to that nonsense. 
but speaking of hanging out, my girlfriend and I were talking. What we, I don't even remember. We, she, she was regaling to somebody when we started dating or whatever. She's like, yeah, well, we were hanging out. I was like, wait a minute. What? She's like, well, yeah, we were hanging out when, when, when we first did. I was like, we were not hanging out. We were dating. And she's and so now I'm just letting her know, like, yeah, yeah well, we're just hanging out. So, you know, I might see what else is out there because, you know, we're just hanging out, I guess. That's what I was told from your words, not mine. And she's like, no, 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 you're taken. You're taken. And I go, well, no, nah, I found out that we're just hanging out. So, you know, it's pretty expensive yep. hangouts for me, but I'm glad that she enjoys it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So everyone should take Slava and Mai's dating advice, and it's... Uh... I know we ranted, as per usual. You ranted. Now, there are certain expectations for female and male relationship. There's cultural expectations, there's gender expectations, sometimes religious expectations. None of that goes away, but the whole process of getting to know somebody, the only word that comes to mind is regimented. You're either seeing them or not seeing them, either hanging out or not hanging out. There's no... Shaking of the hands. We're official now. As of as of January twenty fourth, Facebook tells me that Jonathan and his girl are official. No, they've been hanging out for six freaking months. Of course, I knew they were dating. Is is that what they say in in Slavic language? It's uh, the shaking of the hands. Is that what they call it? Is that the translation? <laughs> Look, I'm just quoting you. I'm just quoting you. I don't... It's a really loose translation. I'm a stupid American. I'm just asking questions. That, that's why regimented seems... I don't think people... People don't know what that word means. You, I think the word you're trying to say, though, is... Regimented? Yeah. I think the pe- I think the word that you're, you mean for those in the modern day, because I'm you know younger than you are, is pressure. Regiment is an order of things, right? That the pressure doesn't have... Something regimented doesn't have to have pressure. But... <laughs> Like there's an order to things in American dating, and it's it's very um, clear cut. Sometimes, right? <laughs> like so, you 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 ask for a girl's number, you hang out, you hang out some more, you get to know each other. Maybe you meet her friends, maybe she meets your friends. Then, sometime in the near or distant future, you go official, and now you're dating. That doesn't exist, and I've dated plenty of women, and none of that ever happened in my world. We're While I'm growing up in America. We're starting a new podcast called Slava's Deli Meat, where he slaps his meat on the table. So Slava's Deli Meat, colon, dating advice for no, the No, there should world. be no colon involved with this deli meat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. I'm so glad that you could all join us for Black Flame today, <laughs> where we talk about dating advice from a Slavic perspective. You're going to stick it in the uh, colon? Stick it in the end, yeah. On the back end? <laughs> Good lord. Okay, so today's oh today's question. We should do an intro, a regular intro. Yeah, yeah. This all started. Here's something I learned this week. Audience, my two friends have no idea how to ask questions. They do know how to rant. Truth, which is a skill or something. 